Well, we're going to switch the conversation a bit and take a look at uh, this particular story now. And it's around uh, workers in public hospitals in particular, that's healthcare workers, and the kind of strain that they have been coming under. Liratom Tunzi is the president of the Young Nurses Indaba Trade Union and is on the line. Lerato, good morning to you and thanks for your time this morning. Uh, good morning, Kathy and the SAFM listeners. Mm. You know, we've been reporting on how our health system has been coming under strain, under pressure, and, you know, in Gauteng in particular, hospitals running out of beds. But we're not often hearing the voices of healthcare professionals like yourself that's giving us insight into what's really happening in our hospitals. And, and I'm just going to ask you by doing that, what are, what are you seeing right now in the hospitals? Um, Kathy, you know, the, the main reason why you, you would not be able to hear the voices of healthcare workers is mainly because, you know, the type of profession that uh, we, we are in, it's really very severely regulated. And obviously there's issues of confidentiality, there's issues of patient secrecy, and these are things that um, nurses or even doctors could actually be held liable should they divulge such information. Mm-hmm. So it's through trade unions such as ourselves that the nurses' voice, um, you know, are able to be heard by the general public. But what um, we are seeing currently as healthcare workers is really a defeating situation, a situation that is severely demotivating because um, despite all the regulations that are put out there uh, to comply with, um, you know, with with all these regulations to ensure that the spread is at least cab, we know our communities are really not taking this seriously. We are seeing this because of the spike in the number of admissions that are coming in. And you would also appreciate that the rest of the other conditions, be it surgical, maternity, trauma, and so forth, have not really taken a back step. So we're still seeing the same influx that we had before the pandemic. And now with the Mm -hmm. added burden of the pandemic, you can uh, imagine our resources were already strained. We do not have enough material resources and we don't have enough hands on deck so it's it's really a we are at a breaking point we are at a breaking point we are just not coping you are in particular representing the young nurses of of this country talk to me about what a day in the life of or maybe even a week in the life of a young nurse right now looks like look you leave your family you know, with fear and you live in fear because you are aware that you could be the very reason that brings this um, condition at home whilst you're living with elderly people and, and, and children. And when you walk into your into a hospital, despite you can't plan your day, everything is totally impromptu. You, you walk in, you, you, you can have days that you... Today is my last day. I don't want to be a nurse anymore, and I, I, I'm quitting. You know, mm. um, and um, in the hospital, you are also, you know, welcomed by very much irate patients because I mean, this is a matter of life and death. A person that comes to a hospital, they don't want your excuses. If you don't have this type of um, equipment or stocks. They want help, and they're 
emergency is the only emergency that matters and you are dealing with the long queues of very impatient uh, uh, persons because they don't want to understand that the reason the ratio of nurse patient is at at the at the state that it's in, it's got nothing to do really with you. It's the the it's all blamed on political will and really lack of a, a, a poor administration that we have in our hospitals and in our clinics. So we we you are in the front line. So you are the face. You are the only healthcare they know. Mm. And as a result, we find ourselves sometimes being even assaulted by family members, escorts, or even patients because obviously they don't want to hear your excuse. It, it almost feels like you are in a very um you are in a relationship where it's very much um um abusive and uh you you are left alone there to fend for the children and your husband is not coming to the party so that's that's basically the feeling of every person coming in and you you take the passion from families you take the the passion from the patients and also you take the passion from the very employer that is not giving you enough resources I want to talk about the workload. How different is the workload right now to perhaps what what it has been traditionally? And it's not really a fair comparison given the fact that we are in a pandemic of sort, but that at least gives us an idea of why it is that nurses in this instance are feeling so overwhelmed. You know, Kathy, we we walked into this um, pandemic already was an ailing healthcare system, uh, a healthcare system that we would easily say was in, in ICU, if not in mortuary, because of uh, the way it was. Um, it was so bad in terms of systems and processes. Now. On top of a crisis that we were in, mm-hmm. you add in a pandemic, it doesn't get any better. It's a worse of situation. But now to put the spanner in the works, you think that our colleagues are falling in on a daily basis and some of them are losing the battle against COVID-19. And it now means that the ones that are left are taking even triple strain uh, because they must, you know, the show must go on. Mm. And some of, you know, we get a lot of reports where our colleagues now get to be admitted for a lot of mental disorders. And, you know, because they're just depressed, they're not coping. You cannot be dealing with death every day without even any form of support or understanding that comes from the employer and even from the community. So it's really, it really is a tough one. Um, mm. And, um, you know, it's you almost lost for words because you're just saying those who are there uh, in the, in the battlefield, you, they're literally on their own. It it just gets worse mm. day by day. Mm. How have you tried to have some kind of intervention on this situation? Look, I think from the beginning of the pandemic, we've been very vocal and we've championed advocating a lot to ensure that um, no 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 PPE no work and we've been pushing the government and I think we also in the in the medium spectrum where you know there was some push back to say 
we cannot be compromising our healthcare workers in this in this in this manner. They need to be protected. So in the protection of getting our healthcare workers, those who are in the shop floor, to be protected, I think we really tried to do our bit. Uh, it's not enough because we still have got a lot of areas that are still complaining about not having protective equipment for them going into the COVID-19 units or nursing uh, 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 patients who are under investigations and so forth. The second thing is that we've really been very vocal and, you know, giving a pushback to the system uh, from national and all provincial departments of health to say um, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in caring for the carer. And I think we've, we've dubbed this year the year of caring for the carer because we realized Whilst this, they are, you know, they are pouring themselves out, their cups are totally empty. And um, it's it's small things. It might, I don't even want to push it to um, the money that they're not getting because, I mean, we are all aware of the public servant wage negotiations that, you know, the government is giving a slap on this public servants that have been there since the beginning of the pandemic to date and saying we are going to give you give you a 1.5 increase and we are not going to give you any danger allowance. We are not going to give you anything. Just work, you know, just work and die. That's basically what the message is. And I think we've been um, we've been trying very hard to actually even speak to our colleagues to say it is time that we we, we, we stop the, the tendency of wanting to be angry at our patients. This nation needs us. But at the same time, we can't be the rudenesses that everybody knows about. We need to rent switch and really focus on holding the people we've hold we've, we've put in these positions of authority and power and political um you know a, 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 a power to be able to be held accountable and i think that's what us as a trade union and it's really been able to to to, to champion a lot um in terms of the counseling a lot of cases that we get be it people falling ill you'll be the first person to know as a trade union and we do give support where we can but it's it's not enough it's not enough um because it it, it needs to be a joint approach uh from ourselves as trade unions but also the government must play a big role and even public sector is not left out public sector is getting a lot of beating in a lot in this in this COVID-19. They themselves are not coping. Their hospitals are full. Their nurses are banned out. So there's a lot of the employer having to take responsibility in taking care of the nurses, mm. but mostly the community. I know a lot of hospitals have closed their visiting hours, which helps, but that's also we've got a lot of politi- um, community leaders and community organizations, including churches, that at this present moment really should be playing some form of a role in you know the chaplains assisting us with a debriefing and counseling and just that moral support because sometimes it just really takes one's moral to just be pepped up for us to go on. You are just there alone fighting and um, if you are, if you make it, you make it. If you don't, you mm. don't. So that we are really there. Lerato, what are you finding is the support that nurses need the most in, in, this, in this moment? I think the biggest support that we need is mainly three things. One, we just need more heads. We need we know there are nurses who are currently unemployed in the who are registered in the funk role. We want the government to really just be honest and say and allow these people to come in. Doesn't matter whether it's contract or it's permanent basis, we just need more hands to assist. The ratios must really be improved. In, we can't you can't be in an ICU that is nursing COVID patients and you are one person nursing six patients when the ratio is supposed to be one is to one. And that is why we are seeing so much bad mortality rate. The second thing we need 
more resources. And because we are fighting a respiratory condition, we, know, we don't just need beds. We need beds with oxygen points, which still speak infrastructure. We need uh, a lot of oxygen supplies, masks, ventilators. We need everything, everything that is there to assist a patient with a respiratory condition. Um, and, and finally, we, in 20, I normally make this example. In 2010, we saw uh, stadiums being erected. We are in a pandemic. 50 years later, we are not even seeing one ward in a hospital, or we are not even seeing just an infectious hospital in Houghton, just one that is big enough to carry a capacity. It's not actually helping us. I felt that the field hospital in Nazareth was demolished in Houghton, and also Charlotte McLeod caught fire. So you can imagine that the rest of these other 37 hospitals are really, you know, uh, uh, busting. In, in, in their seems to be honest. Let, let's talk about this uh, patient-to-nurse ratio. You say uh, under normal circumstances it w- would be one-to-one, which is one nurse per patient on, on ICU. It's, it, it's currently one-to-four. What does that mean for the quality of care that patients are getting right now? It, it simply means that lives that could be saved are being lost. It means the statistics that we see every day could be drastically reduced if we've got uh, more nurses that are able to take care of those patients. Um, it, it just means that you, we are not doing what we should be doing and the quality is severely compromised. And, um, you know... Uh, when I got a call from private, when one of our colleagues was admitted and they said the entire ICU is only having one nurse and this is a private sector, you shrink because you are aware that that night sure. if they had 10 patients, eight of them are going to die and this could be prevented. It's, it's, it's a sad situation where mm. you go to work to watch people die when you know very well you can save them. Oh, Lerato, if... if. I mean, what what does one even even say to that? What does one even say to that? Because listening on the other end are families that have left people at hospitals, um, been unable to visit them, had limited contact with them, yeah. and in many instances have have lost family members, and and to hear that not everything that can be done is being done to try and save as many lives as possible that that in itself is it's it's absolutely devastating and effectively you are saying as as nurses there's only so much that you can do no no definitely and i think it's, it's a sad situation because the people we nurse are not strangers they are you know our family members they are uh, community members uh, there are some of them are colleagues and um to know fully well that um, if that government of the day can be put under enough pressure, not, you know, lockdown is okay, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. We can lock the country down and uh, and not do nothing. It still doesn't yield any results because what we need is, you know, intentional leadership, people that are going to be decisive in building more infrastructure, giving us enough doctors and nurses that we have trained as a country just by the way and finally making sure that things that are supposed to reach hospitals do reach hospitals and those funds are not squandered that's all we really need mm-hmm. at this present moment and that is the plan if we close down or we lock we lock down a country we should be you know intentionally working on but we are not
Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you to, to stay on the line. Look, it's 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 a lot to take in. Um, I've got a couple of WhatsApp voice note comments and, and, and a question for you. We're going to play that for you, Lerato. We'll play uh, that WhatsApp and then you can just respond after. Hi, Kitty. Anonymous here in Limpopo. On the issue of... Good morning. I would like to ask this question. Does the young nurses in Daba joined only by young nurses? What is the cut-off age? Because I hear you are talking about young nurses now. I thought it was just a name. Jabuchilwani, in his view. Lerato? Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, I think... it's it's he's right it's just really a name that says we need to find a way that is young vibrant and innovative of looking at nursing because it's a it's a it's a very um historically cultured traditional uh, profession in its own but otherwise all nurses under the age of 65 who are still in the line of duty are are, are members of our trade union yeah Okay. All right. It's 10.30. I'm going to take uh, the latest news headlines. We'll continue with Lerato for a bit and wrap up the conversation before we look at the uh, currency matter in Zimbabwe. You're live on The Thinking Point. Luyanda Maume is standing by with the latest news headlines. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. We continue the conversation with the Young Nurses Trade Union, Indaba Trade Union. Leradum Tunzi is part of that organization. She's the president of that organization and she's been painting what is a very grim picture in terms of what is happening inside our country's hospitals. I'm going to take more of uh, your WhatsApp voice notes that you have been sending through for her. Before I do that, though, let me go to the phone lines. Jeremiah, you are a doctor in the Eastern Cape. Good morning to you. Molweni, mama. Molweni. Yeah, um, e, the situation is that a young professional nurse have comment about political will of the state uh, in matters of taking care of patients. It, it, it's a very sad scenario. That being said, uh, why, why is it, before you continue, uh, Dr. Jeremiah, why why do you feel that she cannot be talking about political will? No, no, no. It, for one, a young person, mm-hmm. uh, their career ahead of them, they should be, the worries on their shoulders should be their patients as such. Not mm-hmm. am I going to get paid? Why do we not have... Uh, it, it's, it's a bit beyond... I feel mm. uh, it's a, it's added stress that shouldn't be. Mm. Yes, but mm. it shouldn't have gotten to this point. Mm. The state should know. education It is as simple as that one. Somewhere along the way, we lost it. A lot of other unnecessary things. The point I wanted to raise, Bandukaki, is Kuyoyi Wonke, the Dwayne Zikai. Kuma Lichalwa Ilali. 
you know, rural hospitals. It's always just glossed over this thing. Uh, it's that and the action is happening in Devon, Joburg, mm-hmm. Cape Town, you know. There are places. Um, <clears throat> I recently worked at a hospital in Flagstaff. Um, it's just between the border between KZN and Eastern Cape. Eastern Cape, Cape yeah. Yes. You know, um, yes, uh, yeah, up, up, I left the place type thing. Mm-hmm. It, I've practiced for, this is my 21st year in medicine, mostly in rural uh, environments. And the, there's been a steady decline in disregard for healthcare in this country. I won't talk about political rules. There are people who are hired, put in positions, paid exorbitant amounts of money to take care of this year after year. A case in point, in that particular hospital in 2006, there was a problem of water, babies dying, the usual. It's very sad for me to say the usual. Dr. Mussoledi went there, made a big hoo-ha about it. People were fired. He left. There was a strike. For six years running, the hospital failed the basic how you say, national standards for Wagulen, mm-hmm. you know? All I'm saying is, besides Joburg, Durban, and Dundun, and COVID, and vaccinations in Dundun, there are still core problems, which now are going to move, be shifted further down in the list, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. About the, it's, there's a place called Sabati uh, in that area. You have to take a bus, for a good two hours, no, good two hours, untarred road, you get to the hospital, you wait there. There's not enough doctors to work. You don't have enough money to go back. You sleep there. And this is not to, to, to draw at heartstrings and such. We are, we made the bed we are sleeping on. And, and, Mom, kids, I once spoke to this gentleman who hosted <clears throat> the afternoon show. That is the day will come when we will see it happening where, good, ah, well, it's all a big fat joke, young in these commissions. That day has come. The, the reality of the truth of South Africa will be seen today. You know, mm. and I know this is about nursing and stuff. The Tetela from mm. eHealthcare. Northern Cape, Eastern Cape, Ilali. Before Dr. Jeremiah there calling us from the Eastern Cape and he's, he's highlighting an important issue. And Lerato, I don't know if you want to add to, to his contributions. I, I think the doctor is really spot on because um, in many instances, as we are focusing on the hardest heat areas in the urban, uh, the rural health is always um, put in the back seat. And, you know, we were, we were just, you know, making an example the other day and saying, you know, we know exactly where to find our elders when it's voting time. We know how to knock into their houses, but when it comes to vaccinating them, they must find an app 
and they must find themselves in a cold outside a clinic area to queue for a, for the entire day just to get a jab. And we are not giving dignity to the people that are not able, are most vulnerable in the community and worse off those who are really in the rural of the ruralist. And I think that that is just something I could just add from his um, utterance. Okay. Uh, let me go to our WhatsApp voice notes quickly and, and just take a couple of the comments and questions that are coming through for you, Larato. Hi. My name is Godfrey. I am calling you in connection with the nurse, which she is explaining everything, what happened to in the South African hospitals. My worry is this. Please can you ask your guest, with this all problem the nurses are facing, are they not taking out all the frustration into the patient? Are they not affecting the daily-to-day uh, activities on the, on the hospitals? Because we are hearing that there are a lot of nurses are negligent in their daily-day activities because they are frustrated with the government. Please, can you elaborate that for us? Thank you very much. Calling you from Poch. Lerato? Um, the voice note was quite faint, but what I could pick up is the, um, that we are not, uh, you know, being able to, to treat patients in the manner that they should be. And I think mm-hmm. I've, I did highlight to say that is the truth. Uh, and the, the main reason, without even making excuses, is that um, when you are giving soldiers a war to go fight, you have to give them ammunition. Now, our current healthcare system has not equipped our healthcare workers enough uh, to be able to be agile enough to be able to win this battle. Uh, as it is, yes, um, issues of being uh, rude or aggressive towards patients also speak to the issue that I, I pointed out earlier on of mental health. You, you Even if you love your kids, there comes a point because you're going through a lot of strain and then you snap out of it like why did I even do that because it's not even their fault that I'm in this situation so a lot of our healthcare workers find themselves that they're carrying heavy and they have to improvise and sometimes provide so that uh, healthcare can go on but it's like I said, they're just human at the end of the day, and there comes a point where they really lose it. And some of them, this has cost them their practice licenses because you would, be, you know, you'll be heavily disciplined for such a conduct if reported. Okay. Hi, Kathy. It's Dutulen Dutulen. Kathy, I'm speaking as a nurse in the Northwest. And what our government needs to wake up, the reality that they need to wake up to, is that we are in need of more nurses. And more nurses needs to be produced. And um, we need to improve also the um, output of nursing from the nursing colleges. And we should our, our our government should avoid this thing of um developing nurses and not employing them because like lerato she's saying we have number of nurses that are unemployed so if they can employ those nurses and difference can be made lerato 
No, that's that's very true. A lot of colleges um, were closed down, and currently, as I'm speaking to you, there's a new program that the nurses are being trained under uh, Regulation One R One R. R171, R174, and basically what it means, it means nurses are going to be trained for three years, but we can only train a few. As I'm speaking, classes have got only 15 nurses or less. And if in the next three years we would be producing less than 30 nurses uh, for a province, that tells you that we are really in trouble. We should be looking at, you know, training more nurses, even more than the apartheid regime that could train 3,000 at every given year. Now you're looking at training uh, by the close of the cost 30 nurses. So it tells you that the healthcare system, even the training of healthcare professionals is severely deteriorating. All right, I think we're going to pause it there, maybe. Uh, Okay, one more. My producer level is saying one more, one more. Okay, one more for Lerato. Hi, hi, good day, Katie. Uh, can you pass this question to Lerato, man? I just want to uh, know uh, about the medical scheme that are causing room divide in the health profession. Like, you may find like you're a private uh, practitioner, nurse, and then you find that there's a certain medical aid. They say they, they don't pay nurses. How do they allow such kind of a thing to happen in the, in the health uh, profession? Thank you very much. I think we've we've started a hub called the Nespreneur, and I think that's where we are helping most of our private nest practitioners as young nurses in the trade union um, to be able to jump those hoops. It's not the only thing of medical aids. It's also the regulatory body, the the board of healthcare funders, and just, you know, being able to to, to do uh, procedures that they're able to, that they were trained that fall within their scope. So yeah, we are tackling that. It's a big elephant uh, that I think uh, nurses in private practice should really uh, follow us on Nespreneur and get more information on how we assist them. All right. Okay. Lerato, thank you so much for coming on to uh, the show for today. Lerato Mtunzi is the president of the young nurses in Daba Trade Union. And you've heard then the concerns that they have about the state of their profession. Um, yeah, I I haven't moved on from, you know, from the part where she said in one private hospital, there was one nurse attending to all of the patients in ICU. So if you had 10 patients in ICU that night, you were probably going to lose eight people. I, I, I didn't quite move on from that because, yeah, it's it's devastating what I suppose we as, as members of society have to go through, what they as health professionals have to go through. It's just we're in the situation and not enough is being done to to help us fight the best fight we can against COVID-19. All right, let's take a quick break and I'm back with Vince Musewe. He's an independent Zimbabwean economist.